listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thank you very much for spending some time with us this noon hour. There is a lot going on in our city and in our country, and much of it very concerning, very pressing. So we've got a lot to get through this hour, and I'm glad you could spend some time. I want to begin with the Syrian owners of that Toronto restaurant saying that the restaurant will remain open. It'll just be operated by someone else, Paramount Fine Foods, stepping forward, as you heard in the news, to say we will operate this restaurant on behalf of the al-Sufi family, who said that they must close down for fear for personal safety. Now, here is Hassam al-Sufi, the owner of the restaurant, talking this morning about what happened following his very public decision to say we are just shutting down, we just cannot risk our own safety after these threats against our family. We received hundreds of heartfelt messages from people all over Canada offering their support and solidarity. And that support has poured in as well as the outrage that new Canadians simply trying to run a business, playing by the rules would face this kind of hate. And Mr. Sufi, Mr. Al-Sufi, pardon me, said that he recognized the symbolism of this, that if he allowed his restaurant to be closed, that then that would send a message to the hate mongers, to the intolerant out there, that a threat would get what they wanted, and that simply cannot stand. The restaurant, as we mentioned, will be operated by Paramount Fine Foods. Here is more of Mr. Al-Sufi. I remain fear for my family, well-being and safety. And that is always will be my first concern. That said, Mr. Faqih extended his support to us and kindly offered to keep Sufi's door open under his management until our family feels healthy and safe again. Please know that we are determined to make amends with Mrs. Marston and her lovely family, and Hamilton community as well. And we will continue to promote this message of tolerance, peace, and love. That was Mr. Al-Sufi speaking this morning, talking about the outreach to the elderly woman who was blocked from attending a Maxime Bernier news conference. This this is what started all of this. If you don't know the backstory, the threat stemmed from that September event when the PPC leader, Maxime Bernier, uh, was holding an event. And the family, the Al-Sufi's family, uh, eldest son, attended that. The event became a source of controversy because a crowd, you may have seen this video, a crowd of people blocked uh, access to the to the venue, and you could see an elderly woman trying to enter the venue and being blocked by it, and that has caused a lot of outrage. And Mr. Al-Sufi was asked about his son, who was not at this press conference today, and what he has told his son. Look, I love my son, and I'll keep loving him all the time. Kids do mistake. Our job is to correct their mistake, not to kill them for that. You know? Like, he's, he's a, of course, of course, he, he doesn't need discouragement now. He, he, he learned that in the hard, in the hard way. So, you want to get, you want to get something to eat? You a little hungry this, uh, 
This lunch hour, I recommend a Queen Street West eatery. Show your support where it belongs. It's outrageous, it's terrible, and I think we can all be a little bit warmed by the response to this. It is unfortunate that it has come to this in our city. And it is also incredibly unfortunate what is happening in Hamilton. It is it is beyond comprehension. The funeral Saturday now for that 14-year-old boy, Devin Selvey, who was stabbed to death in front of his mother. And his mother yesterday had a press conference that I think just tore at the hearts of every parent. And she explains how the bullying of her son began at this Hamilton High School. Second day of school, they were jumped and chased over to Huskies. And then that night, they jumped him to take Brody's bike and Devin's bike. And Devin told Brody and Zach to run. And he told the kid to take his bike and leave his friends alone. This is where things become systemically concerning. Obviously, this is a tragedy on such level, and our hearts break for this family and break for that mom. But listen to what she says about the administration at the school. They suspended the one kid, and then he was not supposed to be on school property, and then he showed up Monday on the school property, knowing that Devin wouldn't go back into the school because he was there. And so all of these messages, this, all of these indications that something was horrible here, everything that mom and, and all of the parents tried to do, and this is the response from the school board. What they say is just to make people believe that the school, or school, all schools, not just, not just that school, but all schools, have the same policy, zero tolerance and zero bullying, and everyone belongs, and it's not true. And no one's held accountable for it. It keeps happening. No one is held accountable. And we can all wear pink shirts all day long. We could just festoon ourselves in ribbons, but it doesn't make any difference if there is not action, if there is not action behind it. I can tell you, my son who's in the TDSB, he talks about the fact that they've installed a uh, friendship bench at one of their schools. And you know what the kids call it? They call it the bully bench. Because you go sit on that thing, you're going to get bullied 100%. And that, I mean, the kids just know that. That all of this stuff that we as parents try and do, it doesn't add up to anything if the adults in the room don't step up. The Minister of Education was asked about this. He said there's going to be an investigation. He said if people need to be held accountable, they will be held accountable. But also that this is not limited to Hamilton. And I think uh, specifically for the Hamilton board and for every board in the province of Ontario, um, I think it's a realization that there's more to do in the context of combating the reality of bullying in the classroom. This is, a re- this is all too often in schools in Ontario. It is everywhere. And I think we have to acknowledge it and conversely invest more in programs and initiatives To invest more, this was at an announcement of investments in mental health, but it is clear we have a problem, and it is not just in Hamilton. Anybody with a kid in... You know what? I I don't even think you have to have a kid. I mean, I was bullied relentlessly in school. 
And so many people have the same experience. And when you think about this kid, this young 14-year-old, terrified, scared to go to school, and then what happens? I don't know what to say about it. it, it it's got to be, it, there has to be accountability, yes, but there has to be an understanding that all of these symbols that we walk around and, oh, aren't we doing so well? We talk about mental health. We talk about bullying. Put on a hat. Go for a walk. Do a 5K. Raise some money. And at the end of the day, it's no different. It's discouraging. And my heart breaks. Let us get to the campaign trail, shall we? Where Jagmeet Singh today was talking in advance of the second debate that has been put on by the consortium or the debate commission. This one, of course, in French. And uh, I'm sure people, uh, francophones around the country, are looking forward to being absolutely frustrated and outraged at how stupid the commission's setup is. But we'll let them do that. But in advance of this, uh, Jagmeet Singh recapping his party's platform, outlining programs to help students battle climate change, lower cell phone bills. Keep your eye on that cell phone bill. I'm going to dig into that later on because that is madness what's going on in terms of the progressive parties, in terms of anybody center, center left saying that they're going to meddle with your cell phone bill. I'll dig into that later on. But Singh has been buoyed by good reviews about his performance on Monday and he's going into tonight's French clash by laying out the conditions that it's going to take to earn the support of the NDP in a minority parliament. This is a smart move by Singh here. And basically what he's saying is the following things have to be met to be able to gain NDP support to prop up a minority parliament. And that would be a national pharmacare, dental care program, more affordable housing, and eliminating interest on federal student loans and a tax on the super rich and action on climate change. That's a that's a laundry list, but at the end of the laundry list, and here he is talking about why he's saying this, he throws one more in here for good measure. Listen to this. I want to make it clear that no matter what Canadians choose, these are our commitments. These are what we're going to fight for. These are the things that people will know. If you vote New Democrat, if you get more New Democrats in place, these are our six urgent priorities that we're going to fight for immediately. We also want to make it clear that we want to ensure that people aren't in this position again in the future, where they have to worry about who they vote for, and that's why proportional representation is one of our uh, our key commitments, so people can know that this will never happen again if you vote New Democrat. That is just like a jab to the middle of you know, to Justin Trudeau. Oh, hey, proportional representation, electoral reform. Then we would like that too, please, JT. I don't know if you know anything about it. Maybe you, maybe you don't. Meanwhile. On the conservative trail, man, is politics a cold, cold business. This from the Globe and Mail. Supporters of former conservative cabinet minister Peter McKay are now laying the groundwork for a possible leadership bid in the event that Scheer is unable to defeat the liberals on October 21st. And we would have gone to the polls. We had like more than a week to go. It's like, hey, you know what? I, I, I could replace Andy. Uh, veteran Conservative Party insiders uh, and a senior vice president at a marketing agency have confirmed the Globe and Mail that friends of Mr. McKay have discussed the possibility that he could seek the leadership if Mr. Shear fails. Now that, that is cold. 
Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau in a pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin to appear. Uh, I'm wondering if we can replay this. You may have heard this for the first time yesterday on this radio program. It broke just before noon yesterday. This is Judy Scrow, a liberal MP since 1999, who's seeking re-election in Toronto in Humber River, Black Creek. This is what she said about Justin Trudeau and his blackface antics and black Canadians. Those in the black community have told me that how much more love they have for the prime minister, that he wanted to have a black face. He took great pride in that, too. Can you imagine a more insensitive or stupid thing to say? Is anybody, could you just come up with something dumber off the top of your head? I bet you can't. Well, she apologized for that, said, yeah, that was insensitive. Still running. Still in the running. Meanwhile, this from an online show. Jesse Cruikshank's a comedian. She got herself a show. And Justin Trudeau, inexplicably, does an interview with her. I guess he figures, well, it's going to talk a lot about, you know, decorating or socks or something. And, of course, Jesse's got other ideas. She knows what's going on. So she brings in a couple of uh, young kids of color, young, young girls, to say, hey, dude, what was with the blackface? Why did you paint your face brown? Ooh. Um, it was something I shouldn't have done because it hurt people. Um, it's not something that uh, you, you should do. Uh, and that is something that I learned. I didn't know it back then, but I know it now. And I'm sorry I hurt people. But did you paint your note and your hands brown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was the wrong thing to do. And I had a good conversation with my kids around taking responsibility for mistakes and making sure that we're always sticking up for each other and not teasing each other and being respectful towards each other. And I'm uh, sorry that I hurt you as well. I'm sorry that I hurt kids uh, who, uh, you know, get, uh, uh, you know, face teasing and discrimination because, uh, because of the color of their skin. That's just not right uh, in this country or anywhere around the world. We all have to work together to make sure that it doesn't happen. Okay? Okay. Okay, that's Justin Trudeau being wickedly awkward there. What is with the liberal war room? Like Hassan Minaj didn't teach you any you know, anything about that? Like, oh, this is a comedian. What could possibly go wrong? And this goes to a, a central theme that I heard last night at the Ipsos headquarters. They had a bit of a soiree last night talking about polling. Um, there were canapes. Enjoyed that. And what they talked about was that the liberal war room seems to have gone into this campaign with the theory that they were out in front. They're not. And that Justin Trudeau is an asset on the campaign trail. He has not been. John Simpson joins me on the line from the Ipsos headquarters. Did you sleep at the office last night, Sean? <laughs> yeah, for a couple hours. Anyway. I'm still waiting for that pumpkin to appear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talk about the polling, and I want to start with what you heard from Mr. Singh there at the top. Smart there. He just kind of saying, these are the conditions. This is what we're going to impose. Trying to already head off what's going to come, which is a desperation move from the liberals where they say, a vote for Singh is a vote for Sheer. Well, yeah, well, he can uh, promise anything he likes at the moment because he's not uh, the one who's going to have to deliver on it. But uh, he can certainly put pressure on the government, uh, you know, probably liberal government or conservative government to uh, to deliver it, um, you know. But 
politics and power make strange bedfellows. Um, and so he may uh, find that he's got a little bit more wiggle room than he lets on at this particular point. Really, he, he can swing for the fences. There's really little downside for him. I mean, when you're seeing the numbers there, we've seen a slight uptick. And I understand that you may get fresh polling back, what, either today or tomorrow post-election on how Mr. Singh is done? Well, actually, we, we like to let these things play out in the media a little bit. And, of course, there's a French-language debate tonight. So we'll be back in field over the weekend with oh, fresh results. Yeah, with fresh results while everybody's uh, still digesting their turkey and stuffing. Yeah, see, I was eating canapes probably when they said that <laughs> last night at yeah. your event. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just sitting over there by the bar going, this is fantastic. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> But when we look at the numbers, and we've seen this back and forth, liberals ahead, conservatives ahead, liberals ahead, conservatives ahead, who, who's leaking air faster, I guess, is really important at this point. Well, it sort of depends on the week, but actually um, our most recent polling showed that the Green Party seems to be leaking support uh, as people are putting their uh, their bet on, on the two frontrunners, essentially. Um, you know, I think we'll hear, uh, as, as probably the campaigns get more desperate in the final stretch, uh, we'll hear the Liberals saying, you can vote for the NDP or vote for the Green Party is a wasted vote. If you want to stop Andrew Scheer, I'm your only alternative. Um, you know, that's not really a sunny proposition. But it's it's you know what's probably going to work the best. We're talking with uh, Sean Simpson of Ipsos, and last night Global News had one of its election roadshows. Just a fascinating look at the riding of Peterborough, which of course is a bellwether. And every time there's an election, whoever they decide to elect, that person's bottom goes on the government bench. And here is my co-anchor Farah Nasser with a bit of a breakdown in one of the most interesting races to be watching in this province. The Peterborough-Kawartha riding has a population of about 118,000 people. Around 82,000 of them live in the city of Peterborough, which has the highest senior population in the province. Currently, Peterborough's leading industry is tourism. It prides itself on offering a blend of country and city landscapes. Unfortunately, the region has been hit especially hard by the opioid crisis. This year alone, there have been 26 suspected overdose deaths, making Peterborough the hardest hit city in the province per capita. It's an issue that's top of mind heading into the election with local groups calling for a safe consumption facility. The Peterborough Kawartha riding is being closely watched this election. Since 1965, it has consistently voted for the MP of the party that ends up forming government. In 2015, that MP was Miriam Monsef, who is now Canada's Minister of International Development and Minister of Women and Gender Equality. This year, she'll be going head-to-head against Andrew McGregor from the Green Party, Candace Shaw for the NDP, and Michael Skinner for the Conservatives. That was my co-anchor from Global News, Farah Nasser, with a bit of a breakdown on that riding. Sean Simpson from Ipsos is with us. Uh, interesting riding. What are you seeing there? What do you suspect will happen? Yeah, it's a really interesting race, uh, simply because it's bellwether, but it's almost bellwether in that it, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's an older riding. Uh, it's not, not exactly urban, uh, but it has a lot of uh, suburban elements to it as well. And I would think that it would go Tory most of the time, but it seems to, to flop back and forth. So I think, you know, it, it just like the 905, where things are so close, it's really hard to say where that is going to go. And, and the, who wins Peterborough, who wins the 905, wins the country, essentially. 
Sean Simpson with Ipsos. Always great to see you. Enjoyed last night. You have some nice artwork in the office. It's a fancy office downtown <laughs> Toronto. You're a downtown uh, elite. Would you would you consider yourself that? Well, I have I have two lives. I have my my business work life in Toronto, and yeah, I, you know what? I probably am. But I live in Kit. I live in I live in Kitchener. You know, I'm a I'm a church organist on the weekends. Uh, so yeah, it's a different different world for me out there. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> How great thou art, Sean Simpson from Ipsos. Always great to have you on the program. Take Thank care, you. Alan. Appreciate that very much. Whoa, I just noticed this on Twitter. This just popped up. I, in the last segment, I, you may have heard me talking about this Globe story that says uh, Peter McKay is forming a leadership group to look into maybe being the next leader of the conservatives if Andrew Scheer doesn't manage to actually win on the election. Well, this just popped up just moments ago on Twitter from John Coppa Bianco, who was quoted in that story, and it says, I mistakenly speculated to Robert Fife which resulted in today's Globe story. It gives the impression, I do not support my leader, Andrew Scheer. This is totally false. In no way did I intend to suggest anything other than my full support to our party and our leader. Whoops! That's a bit of an own goal right there. Let's get you updated on what's going on in the NBA and the NBA in China. All of the usual media sessions surrounding the Lakers-Nets preseason game in Shanghai today, including a scheduled news conference by the commissioner and post-game news conferences with teams, all canceled. All canceled. China! This is the latest salvo in the rift between the league and China, stemming from that deleted tweet, you know that, from the general manager of the Houston Rockets. There will be no media availabilities for tonight's game between the Nets and the Lakers, an NBA statement said Thursday, just a couple hours before the game. Now, the freedom of speech controversy continues to simmer away. A bipartisan group of lawmakers called on NBA Commissioner Adam Silver to show the, quote, courage and integrity to stand up to the Chinese government. That's after several Chinese companies halted relationships with the Houston Rockets after their general manager tweeted support of protesters in Hong Kong. But San Antonio Spurs coach Greg Popovich says Silver has already taken a stand. He sided with the principles that uh, we all Thursday's exhibition in Shanghai between the Lakers and Nets was played, but pregame media events were canceled by Chinese authorities. Brian Clark, ABC News. And then there was Donald Trump yesterday just absolutely dumping all over Steve Kerr for not talking about China. Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, has been very critical of Donald Trump in the past, and the president took opportunity to take a shot at him. And also talked about this case of the American diplomat's wife from the United Kingdom. Do you know this story? This is a, a, a terrible, a terrible incident. But I want to play for you what the president had to say in a moment. But here is the latest on the case itself. The family of British teenager Harry Dunn refuses to let up, and civil proceedings in the U.S. could be the next step against the American woman suspected of causing the fatal accident and then flying back to the U.S. Dunn's mother, Charlotte Charles. We will go with every bit of advice that we are given from those lawyers, both here and in the USA, and we will just keep running with this and do whatever we can to try and bring justice for Harry. Now, 
try and square that with this from the President of the United States. And the woman was driving on the wrong side of the road. And, and that can happen. You know, those are the opposite roads. That happens. I won't say it ever happened to me, but it did. When you get used to driving on our system and then you're all of a sudden in the other system where you're driving, it happens. You have to be careful. Very careful. So a young man was killed. The person that was driving the automobile has diplomatic immunity. Uh, we're going to speak to her very shortly and see if we can do something where they meet. Uh, it was an accident. It was an ac- It was a terrible accident. Emergency crews were called to a parking lot east of Stan Wadlow Park on Cosburn Avenue in Toronto, just east of Woodbine Avenue, on 2.30 a.m. Monday. And paramedics took a boy to hospital without vital signs. The victim has been identified as Matthew Drever. And the Toronto Police Homicide Squad said the collision was deliberate. Our investigation up to this point, said the detective, the detective said that at this point it was an intentional strike by a motor vehicle. And this case has not made the headlines quite as much because of what's happened in Hamilton. And I want to get an update on this and our crime specialist, Global News crime specialist, Catherine McDonald, has been working on this story and is on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. What's the latest on the investigation? Well, police are really uh, very, very concerned about what happened on Monday morning, as you said, at Stan Wadlow Park. This, this was a case of uh, a, a young man, 16-year-old Matthew Drever, and his 14-year-old friend. They got into uh, some kind of altercation with two men in a vehicle a couple of blocks away at at, uh, Woodbine and O'Connor. It was a parking lot behind a shopper's. Um, And from what police say, uh, the two suspects then patrolled the neighborhood after Matthew and his friend left, uh, and they were looking for these boys. Uh, There were people who reported talking to these uh, suspects who were driving around looking uh, to find these boys. And when they did find them, the passenger of the vehicle got out and began chasing the boys. And police alleged that the driver actually uh, ran over Matthew Drever from behind, leaving him there to die before taking off. Uh, we saw video, we got video of the vehicle, the suspect vehicle leaving the scene. I really um, spoke to the grandmother of this little boy who, uh, you know, didn't have, his, his father died when he was only one. His father committed suicide, she told me. The mother uh, was not really in the picture, and, and the grandma told me that he'd been raised by his father's common-law wife. Um, that evening, according to grandma, uh, the, the common-law wife, who she referred to as his nanny, uh, ran into Matthew as he was leaving around midnight. For whatever reason, she didn't stop him, or maybe she couldn't stop him. But he took off. And then we know that a couple of hours later, he was run down in this horrific uh, way. And that's why the homicide squad is in charge, not traffic services. What do we know about the search for this vehicle? Well, police, are, they want to find these men. Obviously, this was uh, no matter what caused uh, or motivated um, this horrendous uh, attack where this police say this man deliberately ran down Matthew and left him there. We know that this vehicle would have had uh, front-hand damage. Based on the video we've seen, it's a small to medium-sized, uh, dark-colored four-door SUV, and police believe it has front-end damage. So now they are appealing to uh, auto body shops or anyone who may have seen um, two men who, who might have had a vehicle like this and perhaps are not driving it now. Uh, they're looking uh, for clues to try and find these, these men. Really, um, 
the background of the story we're hearing is uh, one witness did say that the boys may have been trying to break into vehicles, and that may have been what caused this interaction. But the, at the end of the day, uh, nobody deserves this. Uh, you know, one of the reporters asked uh, Detective Dunkley the other day, did the, acu- did the victim have a criminal record? And, you know, <laughs> when I heard that, I thought to myself, no matter what prompted this, even if these boys were perhaps breaking into vehicles, as one of the witnesses said uh, he had heard, that that would never be a reason for this kind of retribution. I mean, this is to think that this bo- these two little boys were running away from these men, and uh, the detective said they would have been terrified, and then uh, for one of the boys to actually be run over. Um, it's just awful to think that this this is what happened. Catherine McDonald is Global News Crime Specialist, and if you're interested more in the story, if you're interested in seeing that surveillance video that Catherine's talking about of that vehicle, and perhaps you can help try and bring some justice in this case, you can read her work on globalnews.ca and watch on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Catherine, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the program. As you know, I am a hard-nosed political journalist. No fun. I just get right in there. I ask the tough questions. And sometimes, you know what you need is you need a different kind of questioner when it comes to politics to get the answers that you want. And we've seen that with Justin Trudeau, who likes to go and talk to comedians for some reason because he thinks it's going to be easier on them. And then then he gets Hassan Minhaj'd, and that doesn't look very good for anybody. And perhaps that's why my next guest has completely whiffed on being able to get any of the major political leaders on his show. Maybe not. Coulter Bouchard is the Afternoon Drive co-host on 102.1 The Edge and joins me in studio. How you doing? I'm terrific. Well, I'm a little annoyed, to be completely honest. Why is that? Well, you just mentioned that, you know, uh, the Prime Minister is going on shows with Hassan Minhaj and with uh, Jesse Krulikshank, I think, the other yeah. day. She's got a new show on Facebook. And it's annoying because it's like, w- why do some people get access to our political leaders and other people don't? Right, and you think that you should have access. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm probably the least uh, qualified person to do so, but uh, does that not make me the best person well, that, to do so? You would think on ter- the politics, because I see them do this, politicians, they, they like that kind of thing because they think they're not going to get a tough, tough question. Mm-hmm. But what would you have asked? So you, you, what did you? First of all, what did you ask of the leaders? Well, so I emailed, I emailed the uh, the four main parties: the Liberals, the Greens, the Conservatives, and the NDP. And I had just said, "Look, this is a hyper local radio opportunity. You're dealing with a mostly millennial audience. You know, mm-hmm. we we do afternoons on the edge, as you mentioned." And our thing was, we're going to take questions from our audience. And what I've always hated about political interviews is that you never get a straight answer out of them, right? Because they're pushing their own talking points. So we wanted um, uh, unpolitical questions. That's what we were going to ask. Like, what are your, uh, you know, uh, what's the worst smelling part of the city, for instance? Or uh, if, if you had to go to a bar, let's say, are you choosing Sneaky D's or the Velvet Underground? Like, what, you know, what, what, oh, what, what kind like of leader are you going to be here? Yeah, like, you know, come on. Okay. Uh, and what was the response? 
And did you get any response? So I did not get any response from the conservatives, which I thought was the most ironic because this is a party that we always hear, oh, you know, they're, they, they've essentially just dismissed the millennial vote. And it's like, here's a prime opportunity for you to come and engage with millennials. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the NDP had, we had corresponded a couple of times. Jugmeet was supposed to come on one day. Uh, at the last minute, they canceled. They rescheduled, canceled that one again. That was very frustrating. Uh, the liberals kind of gave me a bit of a runaround. Oh, no, you need to email this person, no, this person. And then the Greens, uh, they had just gotten back to me and said, oh, is this in person or over the phone? And that was that was the end of that, that correspondence. Was, that yeah. was that. That's as much as you got from Elizabeth May. So that's got to be disappointing because, that I mean, you guys, like you say, you reach a certain demographic mm-hmm. that maybe certainly probably didn't watch that horror show of a debate the other night. Well, and that's another thing, right? Like, I don't, I've, I've always kind of aboard debates just because you've got, six, in the case of the other night, you've got six people in a room just shouting over each other. I love just have one person, have a moderator, you know, sometimes a journalist, other times, you know, let's say me in this situation. Like, I'm going to call you out on on you dodging a question, for instance. I want one-on-one and it's just unfortunate that this couldn't come to fruition. Have you done any political uh, journalism? You, you asked leaders questions. I mean, I do it all the time, and sometimes I think it's really valuable to have a set, uh, new, fresh set of eyes on it. Well, I've never. I mean, I'm not a journalist. I don't pretend to be. I don't play one in the movies. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I read the paper every day. I stay up to yeah, current but you're events. Informed. That's still the same thing. I mean, you, whatever. Yeah, I, I would say I'm probably more informed than the average voter, just because it's it's part of my job, right? Like I host sure. an afternoon radio show and you kind of need to know what's going on you know what it's like right yeah um but i thought i could just have a fresh take on the whole thing and we could have like actual edge listeners asking questions just to get a sense of who you are because i can go on your website i can read your platform i can watch you in a debate i can see how you're you know heckling your opponent for instance but like do you have a sense of humor what kind of music do you listen to do you tell jokes for instance like who are you just just as a human don't tell jokes don't tell jokes justin trudeau (laughs) do not no more jokes justin all right colter bouchard is with us uh he's the afternoon drive co-host and one of 2.1 The Edge, and he has not been able to get any of those leaders on his program. Are you still trying? I'm assuming. You're still holding out hope? Every every week I send out another batch of emails, and at this point they're either either annoyed at me and have blocked my email, which I would understand. I'm a very annoying person. You can hear my voice right now. Inconceivable! Um, (laughs) How long have you had that ready for? (laughs) He's just, he just stands on the side. And that just is one hell of a producer. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, all right. Best, best of luck for you. Would you stick around while we do a couple of other quick stories? Of course, love please. You. Okay. I want to start with this because you know we have Thanksgiving coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've talked about in the program about the fact that I have a vegan coming to, I'm hosting. And I, I have vegans coming. And I'm excited about the vegans being there, uh, uh, but I don't know how to handle vegans at Thanksgiving. Here's the he, so I've got a vegan in my family. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What do you? We, do? We've been yeah. touched just like your family has. <laughs> Uh, it's my sister-in-law. Her name's Danielle. She's lovely. She's yeah. a vegan. Um, and she brings her own food. And I love her for it. Okay. You know what I mean? She, she'll show up with a Tupperware container. She's got some vegetables. She's got some bread. She's got whatever. She'll share if you're interested. Yeah. My niece is a vegan, and she brought vegan cheese last time and offered it around. And I'm telling you, that was the most revolting 
Like that, that thing just laid there. Yeah. And it was untouched. And I will tell you, I'm, I don't mean to be telling stories, but I think she might have consumed some brie after she just went. Because there was like, you know, a big baked brie right beside her, you know, green snotty looking thing. Uh, I, I, this is a survey, and I want to know if you know the answer to this. Okay. Okay. A survey on the most popular vegetable. Now, this is an American survey, but we can assume that it's probably... Hold on. American here. most popular vegetable? Most ribs? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> 2,000 Americans were asked which vegetable they liked and disliked the most. Overall, 91.4% of respondents enjoy eating corn. Boom. Is it? It is. is here's the thing, because I've, I've often heard that corn and potatoes, not technically vegetables. Potatoes, extremely close second at 91.2%. Okay. Carrots and tomatoes tied for third. Rounding out the top five, onions, green beans, which tied with the fifth most popular veggies. All right. How about the most hated vegetables? Nearly three in 10, 27% say they dislike turnip. Brussels sprouts. Turnip. Is wow. Your correct answer. See, I'm a huge fan of Brussels sprouts, and I love turnip too. So, again, what does that tell you about me, right? You probably should be vegan. <laughs> uh, next on the dislike list was beets, followed by radishes. Brussels sprouts, sprouts rounding out the top four. So there you go. Yeah, I want to be at that dinner. <laughs> Have some more beets. <laughs> beets for everyone. This one out of Missouri, and I'm wondering if you think this is a good idea okay. here. In Springfield, Missouri, they have now started to put little red flags beside dog turds. And on the flag it says, is this your turd? Because that's absurd. <laughs> And another one says, this is a nudge to pick up the fudge. Okay. And what they do is they put these these flags on it, and then they post it onto Facebook to mm-hmm. try and try and shame. I don't know they're, what they're shaming, but they're just showing dog feces. Uh-huh. Do you think we could do that here in this city because we got a dog poop problem here? Um, well, we absolutely do. Here's the problem. Half of the city would be triggered, right? Oh, my God. Are, are you calling me out on my own malfeasance? I'm triggered by that. <laughs> I'm. I can't tell you. I'm. I'm triggered. I'm so triggered. I'd, I'd love to see that because it's a huge problem, and it's a huge problem, uh, like inside my apartment building, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Like you see it in the elevator sometimes, and it's like, well, what are you doing? The dog's just taking a taking a deuce right in the elevator. And here's the thing: like I get it. You know, maybe you don't have a plastic bag. Although, if you're walking a dog <laughs> in squalor, yeah. if you're if you're walking your dog, you should have a plastic bag on you. But if you don't, like I think it's I think it's incumbent upon you at that point yeah. to take off your jacket, take off your coat, your shirt, whatever, and use that to scoop sure, up just the put excrement. The poo in your, in Come your on, put the poo in your shoe. There you go. I have one <laughs> final story here. Thank you so much for being on the program. You know, I love the Gator stories, Coulter. So here it is. Authorities say they have arrested a Florida man who provoked a small alligator into biting his arm by pouring beer into the animal's mouth. Okay. So this 27-year-old was charged with unlawfully pouring beer into an alligator. So there is a waste of booze (laughs) and a mad alligator. Alligators? Alligators?